John White here with Stories from the Revolution, episode 48. As I said in the last episode, I'm working on being um, being willing to be less organized, a little more messy, but hopefully more responsive to the spirit. So trying to uh, develop these episodes more frequently uh, instead of spending a long time organizing things like I was trained to do in seminary. So still experimenting with all of this. So today, I wanna start again, as I have been in this whole series of episodes um, on preparing for revival by telling stories about the great revival that took place in the first decade of the 1900s. And and what I'm trying to do is to paint uh, a picture of what revival is actually like again, because none of us were around for that revival. So I, I want to spark a hunger in you. I have a hunger in me about this. I hope to spark a hunger in you uh, for God to do something like this in our day, just to simply know that it, it, it is possible. It has happened before. And I believe God wants to do this again. So today, I'm going to go back to the Welsh revival that took place in Wales, a little country and part of the United Kingdom, in around 1904. So I've discovered some more data about that, and I want to share that with you today as we start off. So a uh, quote, from 1903 to 1905, at least 87,548 people 87,548 people converted to Christianity, or roughly 6% of the population of Wales over the age of 11. I don't know exactly how they calculated all that. Somebody was keeping statistics, but that's quite remarkable. And again, this is the awakening part of what God was doing. The revival, again, applies to Christians. Awakening is uh, applying to those who were converted those who became Christians. So that 87,000 is not counting the number of Christians who were revived, who were really brought back to life themselves. So imagine if that kind of revival took place in your country today. I'm thinking about the U.S. Um, I did a little research. There are roughly 290 million people in the U.S. today over the age of 11. If 6% of them were converted, that would be 17 million adults converting to Christianity in just a two-year period. That, that would be astonishing. And again, that's, that's something God was doing. God was drawing people. They didn't have some great uh, evangelism program that was highly effective. This was something that was happening spontaneously. The Spirit of God was drawing people. The, the uh, article goes on to say, this large shock to religiosity was temporary, with church membership in Wales returning to pre-revival levels in 1909. The word that strikes me there is the word temporary, and, and it saddens me. I'd be checking in as sad about that. Um, and it's why I believe it is vital that we have a way of following up on new believers in this current revival. I think it's critical that there would be millions of trained, mature, spiritual moms and dads who can care for and disciple the new spiritual babies 
when the awakening comes. So revival first, revival resulting this time in millions of vibrant families of Jesus. Because whole brain discipleship only takes place in community, vibrant families of Jesus. And again, that's the purpose of the Luke 10 pathway is to to train and connect these um, maturing spiritual moms and dads. Another quote, same article. The revival also led to a decrease in violent crime. This author says, I estimate a reduction in assaults by 12% by 1906 and an even larger reduction in more serious violent crime at 51% by 1907. Again, I don't know how they calculated all that, but somebody was keeping score. That brings back to mind the title of a book that I mentioned to you guys earlier. Uh, The title is The Cure of All Ills. And that author was suggesting that when God pours out revival and awakening, it, it doesn't affect just churches and Christians. It transforms the whole culture. Um, All of the ills of culture, society that we see are impacted by this. One more quote. Evan Roberts, Evan Roberts was one of the leaders of this revival in Wales. Evan Roberts began to experience unusual times of prayer in the spring of 1904. Several times he claimed to have seen a person stretching out his hand from the midst the midst of a shining mist. And in it, there was a paper with the number 100,000 written on it. Remember the total number of converts was calculated at more than 87,000. So that 100,000 had significant meaning. This strikes me as the idea of beginning with the end in mind. But the end was not something that Evan Roberts made up himself. It was something that God gave him. And in Luke 10, we're doing something similar to that. So first of all, we have a general statement of what the end looks like, the desired outcome. We call this the Luke 10 vision statement, and we we repeat this frequently. Uh, In in talking about culture, one of the things that we, we seek to do is what we call bang the drum gently but relentlessly for our culture. And then we, the second statement about culture, which I love, uh, is that culture eats strategy for breakfast. That is, we could spend a lot of time working on strategy, but if, if the culture, if we get the culture, the values and practices, strategy pretty much takes care of itself. So part of our culture is the vision statement. Here it is. You've heard it before. The Luke 10 uh, vision statement is a vibrant family of Jesus in easy reach of every person in every region, region could be a country, a state, a city, a neighborhood, and every people group. And in the past, sometimes we've said it, a vibrant family of Jesus on every block of every neighborhood, of every city, of every country in the world, different ways to frame that. So remember that we said, at least I said, that I think the revival that has now begun isn't about just a few prominent leaders. So praise the Lord for Evan Roberts, who had that vision. But we think it's not going to be just a few people like Evan Roberts. But in this case, in this revival, we say everyone gets to play. How do we do this in Luke 10? So remember, um, 
if people go through Church 101 five-week course, they are then invited to ask the Lord if he wants them to join one of the Luke 10 leader teams. This is where you, you go deeper into the rhythms. We add other um, significant uh, leader skills. We have 24 modules of skills of highly effective spiritual leaders. That's, that's leader teams. But in leader teams, we ask people to ask Jesus two questions. The first question is, what is my harvest field? Jesus, what harvest field have you assigned me to? And we don't tell people what that is. We ask them to ask Jesus. So it could be a geographical place. Uh, we have a lot of folks in Australia and Ireland, different countries around the world. Uh, one brother, uh, his he says his harvest field that Jesus has assigned him to is the Saddleback Valley in Southern California. Okay, great. Um, it could be people groups. We're seeing a lot of Luke 10 artist groups that are multiplying. Um, so that's the first question. Jesus, what is my harvest field? And when, when he assigns that to you, it's not like it's an obligation. It's like, oh, yeah, those are my people. That's what I have a heart for. Second question, what would it look like if the Luke 10 vision, vibrant families of Jesus, in every reach of every person, if the Luke 10 vision was fulfilled in my harvest field? Jesus, what would that look like? So for instance, some of our people that have a passion for the military, we actually have a something that's developing called Luke 10 military. This is what they feel like Jesus had said to them, that there would be at least one vibrant family of Jesus trained through Church 101 on every one of the 800 US military bases in the world. So that again is a statement of sort of the, the end result, start beginning with the end in mind. And then when leader teams meet on Zoom calls every two weeks, often we will have people take time right on the call to spend like five minutes, ask Jesus this question. What do you want me to know today about the harvest field that you have assigned me to? So it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing um, conversation with Jesus. So there's not just one Evan Roberts, but there are dozens and hundreds and thousands of people who are doing exactly what Evan Roberts did. All right, one more thing today that I felt like the Lord impressed on me this morning that I wanna share with you. And these are three words or three terms that are descriptive of the revival that I think is beginning. And let me, let me tell you what they are and then I'll kind of unpack them. Uh, the, the first term is viral growth, spontaneous growth, and then exponential growth. Let me unpack these just a bit. All right, first of all, viral growth. And, you know, because we're in the middle of the whole COVID uh, epidemic, we all pretty much know what a virus is like and how it spreads. COVID is malevolent. We say that um, the Luke 10 virus is benevolent. It's a virus of the kingdom. Critical thing about a, a virus is that it's organic, not programmatic. So it's more bottom up, not top down. In my past, I've been a Christian for, for uh, almost 60 years. I've been involved in a lot of what we would call programmatic top down strategies, schemes to see the kingdom expand. This is different than that. It's organic. It's more like a virus. It's more like the first century church is, Someone has said the early church conquered the Roman Empire one household at a time. It was a benevolent spiritual 
kingdom virus spreading from one household to the next, to the next, to the next. There wasn't any big centralized program that was that was going on. So that's the first word, uh, viral. The second term, uh, viral means it's going to be spontaneous. Let me talk about spontaneous growth for a minute. Spontaneous means occurring without external cause, unconstrained, unprompted. This is the opposite of what we talked about in our book, um, Joy Fueled. It's the opposite of the gospel of knowledge and duty. It's something that is motivated not by some external force, some preaching or whatever, but by the spirit of God within. So for example, what was it that motivated Peter in Acts chapter 10 to go to Cornelius's house? Was he sitting around sort of saying, oh, you know, Roman soldiers, especially centurions, really need to know Jesus. And we've been working on a strategy for reaching Roman soldiers. We've been exegeting their culture, and we've been thinking a whole lot about that. Is that what, you, what Peter was doing? Not at all. He was sitting up on the roof, minding his own business, waiting for dinner. And it was the Spirit of God that constrained him. So in Luke 10, it's kind of the same thing. We don't exhort people to mission. Rather, we exhort people, or we train people in listening to Jesus. Listen to Jesus and do what he directs. It's very simple. And then we tell stories about what it is that we're hearing from him. The Luke 10 training pathway or the learning pathway is all about teaching people simply to do that. Jesus does the heavy lifting. He does the directing. He does the mission stuff. We don't. He does. So that's what we mean by spontaneous growth. All right. Here's a quote that I want to share with you. One of the books that you'll find me talking about all the time is an old book. It's called The Spontaneous Expansion of the Church. Um, this was written by Roland Allen. I think it came out in 1927, but I just think it's brilliant. And it's so different from a lot of, of the sort of the ministry stuff that I was involved in earlier in my life. So I'm going to read to you two quotes from this book, The Spontaneous Expansion of the Church. So Roland Allen says, this then is what I mean by spontaneous expansion. I mean the expansion which follows the unexhorted an unorganized activity of individual members of the church explaining to others the gospel which they have found for themselves. I mean the expansion which follows the irresistible attraction of the Christian church for men who see its ordered life and who are drawn to it by a desire to discover the secret of a life which they instinctively desire to share. So people see the abundant life in Christians' lives. And those who don't know Christ <clears throat> are drawn to that. There's a hunger that the Spirit of God has put in them, and they are drawn to that. Here's one more paragraph from Roland Allen. He says, here's something that is true of, of Peter, of John, and really all of the apostolic writers. They do not seem to feel any necessity to repeat the Great Commission and to urge that it is the duty of their converts to make disciples of all the nations. That's amazing, isn't it? I mean, you know, what do we get today? So many ministries are, are pounding on this idea of the Great Commission. You need to get busy. Uh, people are going to hell. What are you doing about this? And what Roland Allen is saying is that none of the apostolic writers did that. He goes on, what we read in the New Testament is no anxious appeal 
That again, anxious appeal to Christians. They didn't do that. No anxious appeal to spread the gospel, but a note here and there which suggests how the gospel was being spread abroad. For centuries, the Christian church continued to expand by its own inherent grace and threw up an unceasing supply of missionaries without any direct exhortation. Well, that's how we approach things in Luke 10. We don't exhort people to go out and get busy, but we do tell stories about what God is doing. Here's what the Lord has said to me. Here's where he has directed me. And that's just great fun. So that's the second word, spontaneous. The third word is this. Viral is also, it's not just spontaneous, but it's exponential, exponential growth. And that simply means growth at an increasing rate. So linear growth, you draw a line and it's kind of going up in a straight line. Exponential growth is that it's real slow at first, and then it starts going up and it just kind of shoots straight up. You've seen pictures of that. And that's how viruses multiply. Um, that's why COVID has impacted hundreds of millions of people around the world. There's a great TED Talk, and, and you can find this um, if, if you go to uh, YouTube um, and, and just put in there um, a folding paper. The title of this talk is, How Can Folding Paper Get You to the Moon? This is really clever. A little, probably five-minute video. And this guy says, if you take a very thin piece of paper, and he says, every time you fold it, it, fold it, it doubles in thickness. And this is going to illustrate exponential growth. If you fold that piece of paper, the very thin paper, 10 times, the equation for that is two to the 10th power. The 10th is the, is the exponent, uh, two to the 10th power. So that's uh, two times two times two times two, 10 times. That would be one centimeter thick. What if you folded it 17 times? Well, because the, the rate is increasing, that piece of paper would then be four feet tall. All right, what if you kept going and folded it 25 times. This is 2 to the 25th power. It would be 1,100 feet tall. That's like Empire State Building tall. And if you kept going, and if you could, uh, don't try this at home, you'll never be able to do it. But if you kept folding it, if you folded it 45 times, how thick would that be? Well, it would be the distance to the moon. That's exponential growth. And then if you folded it just one more time, the 46 fold, it now would be thick enough to get you not only to the moon, but back to the earth. Just that one fold would get you back to the earth. Pretty amazing. Exponential growth, compound interest, same idea. Uh, one of the statements I like is exponential growth happens slowly and then all at once. When it begins to occur, when you get and when you multiply the folds, all of a sudden it begins to take off. Um, so uh, replication, which is the capacity for exponential growth, I believe is built into our training pathway. I'll be talking more about that. I keep telling you, I've got these five things that I want to tell you about the training pathway. But every morning it's like God's bringing something else to mind. And I'm, I'm learning to pay attention to that and do that. And so we'll just take it one day at a time. And eventually... I'll share those five observations about the training pathway with you. So more to come. So this is John White, um, listening to Jesus, 
one day at a time for his few small assignments, seeing increasing evidence of Christians being revived, pretty excited about that, and glad to be on the journey with you today.